Welcome to Holy Shit, I Have ADHD, a podcast about discovering your neurodivergent in adulthood. My name is Jordan Lane. Robbie, unfortunately, is unable to join me today, but with me here uh, virtually in the studio is Mr. Chris Gillum. Uh, Chris is a recovering gambling addict and alcoholic who was diagnosed with ADHD two months before his 40th birthday. Chris is a co-founder and co-host of the All Bets Are Off Gambling Addiction Recovery Podcast and is also a co-founder and trustee of Gambling Education Network, a leading impact-focused UK charity dedicated to the prevention and reduction of gambling harm. Uh, so welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Jordan. Nice to be here. I mean, what's funny is I didn't know that I'd be on here and you know, until the end of last year. Well, not that I knew I'd be on here, but you know. I didn't know I had a place on here. So isn't that the <laughs> funny thing about us adults getting diagnosed? Like It's like, whoa. And um, yeah, actually, it was listening to one of your podcasts. The very first episode I listened to, actually, um, I started laughing. I was like, my God, I think this makes sense to me. I think some <laughs> of this stuff makes sense. And, and then obviously things went from there towards a diagnosis. So yeah, it's great to be here. So, so two months before your 40th birthday, how, how long ago was that? I just turned 40 myself. Yeah. So that was last October. I was 40 last, last December. So 40 in December, 2021. So a bit over half a year, isn't it now? Maybe yeah. So you're not even year, quite like a, a year into it yet. That's very interesting. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like though you have kind of taken this ball and really run with it. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, uh, I guess sort of what, um, what, kind of kind of made you what what gave you the, I guess the inkling that like ADHD might be at the root of kind of some of these other challenges you've dealt with in your life yeah absolutely that's a really um interesting question really because um I had no idea I genuinely had no idea um both of my children have autism mm, so mm. ASD one of them also has Tourette's and used to have epilepsy but like a type of childhood epilepsy so he's grown out of that now so that's that's a great thing um, and funny enough, he's now going through the process of being diagnosed with ADHD because wow. we are very, very, very similar. Um, but you know, during COVID things started to change. So, um, I should probably jump back a little bit first. Just yeah. You know, I, I realized some... as I kind of was setting that up, that it would help, uh, the listeners to, cause I of course know from listening to episodes of your show, your story, but, uh, nobody else does. So I mentioned in passing up top that, uh, uh, you're a recovering gambling addict and alcoholic. And I guess those were kind of the things I was referring to. So yeah, why don't you, why don't you tell us about your story and kind of fill in the gaps in the background and then we can understand how that tied into your eventual diagnosis. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, alcohol that became a part of my life from the age of about 14. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time I didn't realize why I felt so fearful and stuff in, in life and why I was such a perfectionist maybe. Um, and others weren't putting any of that on me. It was definitely an internal thing, but I certainly felt like I didn't fit in with others. I felt like to be part of a group, I needed to change how I was. I realized I was doing a lot of masking over the years. Mm -hmm. Once I started drinking the alcohol, I suddenly felt like I could drop that mask a little bit and just get drunk yeah. and everything was all right. That, so that, that was kind of that social element mm -hmm. there. But yeah, just as a youngster, things like, um, and it, nobody in my family used to use this term, but it was in me a lot. You know, I, I think it's one of the worst terms I've ever heard. And it's practice makes perfect because it doesn't, <laughs> it can't, it can't because there's no such thing as perfect. But I, when I heard that as a child, it was, and I don't know where I was hearing it from, but it's such a well-used phrase, certainly in the UK. Sure. I needed to be perfect. And that was something I was putting on myself from hearing it externally. Um, and I could never be perfect. So that led me to either not do things I wanted to do or do things badly on purpose. Because if I did things badly on purpose, I couldn't fail. And there was that sure. real fear of failure. Um, and now looking back, I see these things think, well, I can see how that links to ADHD. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't then because I wasn't a crazy kid running around a classroom. What I was was a child who did a lot of sport and got it out on a sports field uh, and that kind of thing. So I was always on the go. And I didn't do my homework and all that kind of stuff because I couldn't start tasks. But as far as anybody was aware, I wasn't naughty at school because I was out there doing things. So felt uncomfortable, started drinking at 14, started to feel more comfortable with life. And that helped me in social situations. Didn't help me in school, didn't mm -hmm. help me at work, but it always helps me in social situations. Um, so that continued for many, many years. Um, but when I just said it didn't help me at work, I'm going to clarify that. 
sure. it didn't help me during my work day. What it did was I now realize over many, many years, a lot of what I did at work were the things that I felt comfortable with. So talking to other people, going and solving some problems with others and just getting out and about and not sitting at my desk because I couldn't sit at my desk and arranging meetings. Should we do the meeting at your office or mine? Oh, I'll come to yours. Most definitely I'm coming right. to yours. That gets me out and about. That helped me. But to do like the daily tasks that I had to do, they didn't happen until the evening. And they happened after I drank beer mm, mm. or wine or spirits. And obviously, as time went on, it went to beer, wine and spirits. And I had to do that just to get that little bit of, um, I don't know, just that little bit of courage mm -hmm. to get over that little hill, that tiny little hill that we have, which seems absolutely huge, um, just to do that most minute, tiny little task that my head says, you're not doing that. Um, and I feel that all the time. And I realized I felt that all my life. Um, but yeah, so the drink did help in that sense. But obviously, all through this time, I was becoming dependent on the alcohol, couldn't live without it. Couldn't live with it, either, though, at the end, and it was obviously <laughs> a huge issue. Of course. Um, but when I got to 30, um, so, you know, quite a few years into the drinking, it kind of wasn't changing how I felt anymore. It really wasn't helping with some of that stuff. Um, didn't stop it, of course. Continued to do it because it's what I knew. And I thought it's the only way I can get through a day. But mm -hmm. I accidentally kind of started gambling. It wasn't something I'd ever done as a youngster um there's a lot of it in the uk i mean advertising everywhere it seems so normal you know in a work environment there were people doing sweepstakes or mm -hmm. kind of horse racing and talking about football bets and stuff and, and just i took part in a couple of them and then very quickly after that i downloaded a gambling app um from downloading that gambling app well within you know I was, you know, I would say within days, within weeks, I, there was no way back. There was no way back. And um, I didn't realize how dangerous it could be. And it obviously took me to the brink of me. Well, I say, obviously, listeners don't know this, but to the brink of me taking my own life in the at the end of 2017. And thank God um, that didn't happen. Um, and I managed to find recovery for the alcohol and the gambling. Um, but what I've realized, which is really interesting, and I only realized this once I was diagnosed with the ADHD, that the gambling made me feel calm. Mm. It was something which calmed my ADHD brain. So rather than it being all over the place, as it always is, you know, as I'm talking to you now, I'm looking over there and I'm seeing my fan and thinking, crikey, I wonder if that fan's a bit loud, but I need it on because I'm really hot and all this kind of stuff. Nothing to do with what we're talking about. Sure. That's just one of the things going in my head as well as that bird outside there and the person that just come <laughs> out of the lift. As you know, full well, this stuff happens. I didn't know, I didn't hear that when I was gambling. It was perfectly mm. quiet, but I was doing something that was harming me. And actually, an industry who wanted to drag me in. So they were quite happy that I was harming myself. But I felt very, very calm. Um, and another thing I realized the other day when I started to do some um, Gandon Education Network work, I logged on at 6 p.m. to my computer, looked up at my clock, and it was half past 11 in the evening. Oh, Jesus. And I was starving. I hadn't had a drink. needed a wee. Yeah. And the first thing that came into my head was, oh, my life. This is how you felt when you stopped a Gandon episode. Oh wow! The time, the time just went. So yeah, there is something in there, and I, I personally, am, and you know, there is a little bit of um, research I think around this, but not a lot. And I think there needs to be a lot more people with ADHD, maybe other neurodiverse um, issues as well or disabilities. Um, you know, they may be really dragged in to gambling, and not because as people think, oh, people gamble to win money. No, they, people don't win to gamble. Uh, sorry, people don't win yeah. to gamble. People don't gamble to win money necessarily. Um, I certainly didn't. I gambled to quieten my head, and I gambled to do it for as long as possible to keep my head as quiet as possible. That meant I needed to win to give me more time or to find money elsewhere to gamble but essentially that's what was happening but i found recovery in 2017 at the end of 2017 that was wonderful for me that started off with gamblers anonymous and alcoholics anonymous and i still attend both now nearly five years in but i also do a lot more um because you know there are so many different ways to recover and i want to you know take part in more than one thing so i'm a peer supporter for gambling um, so I can help others who've been through similar situations. Obviously, I started the All Better Off podcast with mm -hmm. Ryan, Kish and Kelly, and then Tracy came on board. Um, and that was a great thing, actually. And I think, as I've already alluded to here, 
once I started to think I might have ADHD, I started to look for ways to find out. And one of those ways was looking for podcasts, mm. listen to, just happened to listen to your one, first of all, right. and have continued to since. Now I've found a lot more, but it was that first episode, you know, in my head, it was like, wow, yeah, I think so. I think so. In fact, I think I know so, <laughs> because <laughs> this is so spot on. Right. Um, and it was that kind of bridge into, into trying to get the help that I needed. Um, and I think that's so important with pod, with regards to like podcasts, um, with addiction podcasts as well, because, you know, you feel alone, don't you? There's the stigma um, and you shouldn't, there shouldn't be stigma. That's why I'm talking out. You know, I have never been more comfortable being me as I am today because mm -hmm. I know who I am. Um, doesn't make it easy, does it? But <laughs> I know who I am. And well, no, that's not even true. I'm starting to learn who I am. I know who I am today more than I did yesterday. And the right. more I live, the more I will learn who I am and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, podcasts are great because people can listen and can think, oh, maybe then, and I'm not alone. Therefore, I'll hopefully go and ask for help because that's mm -hmm. what this all boils down to. We don't need to do this stuff on our own. Let's ask for help. And then I guess finally, before we kind of talk about anything else, it's the covid situation so i've been doing my job for many many years um like i said using the alcohol and stuff to help that stopped in 2017 so between 2017 and early 2020 i was managing okay in my job most of the time um some difficulties but what i realized now is there was me and i had a team of between three and four people or three to five people at the time it got to a place where that was me and one person. Mm. And I realized now that actually that meant me needing to do more tasks yeah. that maybe I hadn't had to do before, which meant I couldn't just focus on the bits that I was going to be more productive in. Um, so that was difficult. And then obviously it was then fully working from home for a very long time. Um, and as much as I used to be very productive working from home, because it gave me the chance to be away from the office for a day a week, um, suddenly it was there all the time. And a lot of our governance was changing at work. And the way we saved our files was changing at work. And everything was changing at work. And I'm at home. And it's like, how do I deal with this? And I'm working on this really small little laptop, not the two screens I used right. to have. <laughs> and, I'm, and these are things I'm starting to realize now. Um, and I'm still not back at work. And I hope to be. I had a meeting last week with HR and my boss. We're trying to get, I'm trying to get back in. Um, and one of the things we're discussing is, you know, they say, are you able to do your role? I say, I think so. But I'm 40 years old. I've been medicated for around about 14 weeks and I feel a lot calmer and better than I did. So I think so, yeah. But I've never felt like this in my life. So I feel like I need a chance to try right. and let's see what happens. So kind of that's what happened. And then going through COVID, it just got really hard. Homeschooling with the kids, you know, work being difficult um, for me. Mm -hmm. and it got to a place where I thought the kids have got autism I should do an online check to see if I've got autism so I did I mean you know it's only a test online it's not you know it's not 100 sure. confirmed but what it said was no you don't I was like oh that's a shame <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what is the answer then what's the answer um, at that time I was off work with depression and anxiety so I thought well let's try the let's try the questionnaires for them to see if they say I've got these things right. or if it's just a load of rubbish and they scored really high, I was like, well, that's a good start. So then I went through everything that they had. Um, and the one that scored highest was ADHD. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Spoke to my mum. She went, oh, your uncle's been diagnosed with ADHD oh, recently. Wow. I was like, oh, right. And he's about 12 years older than me, maybe something like that. Um, I was like, that's interesting. And then his son had as well. I was like, oh, okay. I spoke to him and he said, oh, I'm not allowed to tell you this because you'll go for the process. But yes, you've got ADHD. I went, brilliant. That would do. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and that's then when, you know, I listened to your podcast. So I listened to other podcasts after. Um, went to the doctors, tried to get stuff sorted, which was just horrendous in the UK at the moment. The waiting lists are so, so long. Um, I had to go down a, a private route. Obviously, we have the NHS here, don't we? And um, the National Health Service waiting list was two years. Uh, basically, I still wouldn't have had my diagnosis uh, right. yet. It would have been December this year rather than October last year. And that had already taken quite a long time to get to there. So fortunately, my parents were able to, to put me in a private um, way, in a private route. Otherwise, I'd still be waiting and falling apart. Um, when I found out I had the ADHD, it was amazing. It said, you now know you are. Um, and then I was like, great. Let's get on the medication. I couldn't get on the medication for a while. Um, heart was fine. I had all the tests. That was all good. But there was mm -hmm. one liver reading, which was slightly mm. higher. 
through the period of trying to get some medication, that's when I just sunk into a depression, to be honest, because I just couldn't get on those meds. And that yeah. was really, really difficult. That kind of brings me to about four months ago, as I say, I started the meds, things are now moving forward. So there's a few things that you were talking about that I kind of wanted to double back to. Um, something you were talking about earlier, very early on, was was that fear of failure and and kind of going about things in like a bad on purpose way. And that's that's something that I also, you know, that that was as a child and and a teenager, obviously, and as I got older, it kind of lessened. But you know, that kind of being very very detached and ironic and sarcastic about everything was for me like a huge part of kind of how I dealt with that because you know, like it's it's the strangest thing in the world as an adult to when you hear kids saying things like, "Oh, that guy's a try hard," like, boy, imagine putting effort into something. That's well, what a what a loser to to actually like expend a little bit of uh, of your time and energy trying to do something well that you enjoy doing. And it's like, oh, geez, that guy, oh, that guy's like. He wants to actually like go out and skateboard and try and do tricks and not just like smoke in the 7-Eleven parking lot. Like what a tryhard. Um, and so, yeah, you know, like I definitely relate to to huge parts of that. But again, coming at it from an adult perspective, it's it's totally foreign. And I'm just kind of kind of curious what that what what the process of your evolution on like um, uh, you're thinking around around. Yeah, just like sincerity i guess or 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 trying authentically at things i'm just kind of curious if you have any thoughts on that yeah yeah i mean i've because now i understand what's happening it, it, it all makes a lot more sense but obviously i haven't waited until my diagnosis to try and act more like an adult and become more sincere but right i would say a lot of that probably happened um when i started in the recovery from the mm, mm. gambling and and the and the alcohol, to be honest, because before that, I was you know, just smothering myself in booze, really. You know, I mean, that's what it was like. It wasn't me. It wasn't the person I should have been. So so now, I mean, I've found things that interest me, for example, but then I'm able to try and make the effort to do the things and and talk to people about that and explain, you know, actually, I do like this. And that's why I want to do this kind of thing and to not need to be the best person in the world is it. Yeah. Because it's about enjoyment. And that's one of those things that, that, is, that I've recognized and, and is really interesting. And actually on this kind of topic, it's uh, an example I've got is, um, so me and my ex-wife, I mean, we're still married, but we're separated right now. Um, so her family a bunch of them are like musicians so her brother's a drummer absolutely amazing like he is and, and his sister her, her sister um beautiful singer you know plays guitar and plays a piano although she's a banker she's a little bit like, like me in the sense you know she's like she does that but really she likes to do music right when, when i when i met them all and as zoe my my ex says they would have loved to know that you did all this stuff and mm. that you would have got involved with them, played music, sung and all that. And I say, I couldn't do that because as soon as I knew them, I just thought how terrible I am in comparison. There was nothing to compare. You know, we should have all got together and played and had fun. Sure. And that's what the, that's what it is now. And in fact, um, Victoria, my sister-in-law asked me um, last weekend, I'm, I'm singing in a few, in a, in October, I think it is. Do you fancy coming and playing the guitar and supporting me in it? And I was like, yeah okay nice Be because i can now and i can tell her if i feel anxious about it i can tell her why i don't have to bury those feelings and all yeah. this stuff was all about the burying the feelings and then masking stuff so it was either go and try and do it and this is what i did as a child i played in bands i played a lot of music but quite often i would purposely not learn the songs mm. coming back to that thing again like sure better to fight better to fail than try and and try and not get it perfect like stand in front stand on the stage in front of a load of people playing a song on your own not knowing the song isn't ideal but that's what i <laughs> thought was better than learning the song and maybe one out of ten times making a bit of a mistake no right. get up there and mess it up every time and and joke about it and laugh about it like you said as a kid oh you know yeah just laugh about it um it's interesting though because my son is 13 so i can see him going yeah he's right in the thick of, of that now yeah exactly the stuff which i felt I see him going through now. So it's nice that I'm able to use this experience that I now know is ADHD. So I've got something to you know label it on, which is a good thing for me, by the way, because it means sure. I can say, I understand. It's not that I am Mr. ADHD. It's just that I understand why I am 
as I am, why I think right. like I am, and now I can plan about it. But yeah, it just means I can interact with my son in a nice way. So when he says to me, oh, why would you bother doing that? I, say, well, <laughs> I get you. I get you. And I understand exactly what you've said. And I'm thinking exactly the same right now. But this is what I'm going to do to try and rethink it um, and try and put a different spin on it. And they're the kind of conversations we've been having. Um, and that's been really helpful. But yeah, the music example is a great one because I could have been playing music with those guys over the last 17 years and having a lot of fun. Instead, I just pretended that oh, I don't want to play anymore. Not yep. true. I can I can definitely relate to that. Um, you know, especially I've I've talked before on the show about how I got back into improv about five years ago, and yeah, that was something where like you know early on, um, it was despite it, you know, it's something that I've done before, and and I think I'm I'm good at just kind of I don't know naturally, I kind of intuit the form, but like it's um it was very intimidating for me sometimes with these and and what was you know, intended by all participants, including the people I was intimidated by, to be a very relaxed environment for anyone to show up and just kind of do the thing, right? But there was, uh, I just remember this one night in particular, and I think it was because someone had a, someone had brought a video camera that night to kind of like record the jam. And again, not with any intention of doing anything with it, just to kind of, kind of preserve that. But that was for me, like a huge, it was it was like you know i was on stage at carnegie hall by myself in the spotlight and you know everybody's monocle was going to pop if i didn't uh, if i didn't do a good job or whatever and of course that's completely absurd but like i had i had like a really severe panic attack and had to leave and just like go sit in my car for a while because i was i was just like so hung up uh uh by the idea of failure with again absolutely zero consequences in the basement of a community hall in front of about eight people like there's 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 no stakes there whatsoever and yet it was the scariest thing in the world the, the, that i might yeah. fail this somehow so i yeah. totally get that and something that's just coming to my mind as you're talking as well sure. this is something i think about a lot is that fear of failure for me a lot of it has been um it's far worse when it is family or friends. Oh, absolutely. Like, it doesn't matter to me if it's a bunch of people I don't know. Like, when I used to, when I talk about music, I used to think of myself, oh, I could be a massive rock star on the international stage. I still believe I could go and do that tomorrow. Sure. Could I play my guitar in front of my mum, dad and my brothers? No. <laughs> like, what's that all about? But that is, that's how the head works. That's how my head works. I don't mind going out there totally unprepared and just whatever in front of thousands of people. That's all right in front of five people who I care about absolutely not this is going to be horrendous it's all going to go wrong I'm embarrassed I'm not good enough self-loathing all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff comes in and that's crazy thinking um, <laughs> it really is I know it's happened all my life but at least I know now why I've been thinking like that yeah no kidding um so another thing I, I wanted to double back to uh you were talking about how kind of how how gambling calmed your adhd brain really kind of helped that noise disappear uh in a way that you know alcohol had maybe kind of ceased to at that point um and yeah like i i so i've never really had that particular kind of uh compulsion around gambling specifically but that said there are are areas of my life that i definitely put that kind of energy into instead like my my version of that was always more kind of like acquisitional i guess i wasn't really into gambling but i was like a collector of things and kind of like hunting out that sort of stuff and you know now that I'm, i was thinking about it before we got on the call today and um so you know uh i sell uh vintage clothing and and housewares and that kind of stuff um it's part of my my income and you know that in its own way is gambling it's i'm basically taking a gamble every time i buy something assuming that i can sell it for more than i'm buying it for uh to some degree and you know so it's like whatever low scale arbitrage and you know i don't really think of that as kind of um that kind of behavior but there is i guess an element there that you know i get a i get a huge thrill from finding something you know at a at a thrift store for 5 bucks that i can sell for 100 down the road because why wouldn't i that's that that's a big deal but that is I feel like that same sort of thrill that that you must have gotten from gambling and that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, I guess I just wanted to kind of like relate to that a little bit uh, uh, and then say that, you know, there was kind of other places that I got that sensation from. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to double back to was that um, 
the the prevalence of gambling in the UK and kind of advertisements and things compared to North America. That's not to say that we don't have that kind of stuff here. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of sports betting on on uh, football and baseball and whatnot, but um, they have such a, a foothold in the in the UK, kind of everywhere. And I remember it, it's interesting because they actually. Um, the, the 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 amount of of entrenchment that they have in all sports is so thorough that that sites like Paddy Power were actually what uh, I used to use in my former job when I worked for Getty Images when we were doing all the editorial stuff around sports around like okay who are the front runner athletes in each event in the Olympics this year well you can you can try and aggregate this info from like Wikipedia or whoever but if you really want to know who they think are you know the people that are going to win any given event you go onto the gambling sites and you know they have information about about high ally and whatever the hell kind of obscure sports all over the place that you know is just not accessible everywhere else and that's it's 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 kind of shocking in a way that that you know the only resources to kind of learn about these sports as a layperson are gambling sites but i think that really does speak to that entrenchment that you were talking about um so yeah i i, I would just love to know your thoughts on like uh, I know there have been some changes to uh, uh, rules in the UK around when you can and can't advertise during soccer matches and whatnot. Um, but I'm just kind of curious if you want to just like for the North American layperson, uh, you know, um, if, if you can give us a, a, an explanation of um, what it's like in the UK. I mean, first of all, that's so interesting what you said, isn't it? You're sitting there in America going to a Paddy Power site. Uh, that's just incredible um, to find out about sport, not to find out about betting. Now it's just, yeah, it, it's it's unreal. But I understand it. You know, um, you go on a gambling site and there is information because of betting for sports all over the world, twenty four hours a day. Um, and in England, you know, in the UK, there are gambling advertisements all day long, everywhere. To be honest. Um, so, yeah, on TV, you will have gambling adverts during the daytime. Now, they won't be casino adverts during that time of the day. What they'll be is bingo adverts, mm -hmm. and they will align themselves to programs that are spe for specific demographics, um, you know, because they know who, who they want to sure. get in. So there's a program here. What's it called now? Loose Women. There's a program called Loose Women, and there's one of the bingo sites kind of, you know, sponsors that. So there are these ladies sitting at home during the day, you know, watching the telly and suddenly they're getting hit by these advertisements. Um, if I get in the car in the morning and put the radio on, eight o'clock, gambling advertisements. You know, the time people are in the car taking their kids to school, gambling mm -hmm, advertisement mm -hmm. for an over 18 product. Um, football, soccer. There we go. We'll quit soccer because I'm talking to you. And uh, that is everywhere. I mean, it's absolutely everywhere. Um, it's so normal. It feels like they're ingrained. So you can't have soccer. That's so weird. So now you can't have soccer without. You're um, welcome to say football. It's no skin I know, off my. I feel like I should. I'm going to get it wrong. Um, soccer off football. There we go. Um, they're in, they're in, they're the same. It feels like they're the same thing, and they're not. So as a child, I loved football. As a grown up, when I gambled, I didn't like football until I stopped gambling. Then I like football again. Um, but the problem is there is gambling everywhere. So in a, like you just mentioned about how they've changed some of the rules here. So <laughs> the gambling industry, and I do giggle about this when I say it, because they've got something now, which is called the whistle to whistle ban. And that means during, oh, from five minutes before kickoff to five minutes after. So including halftime, they're not allowed to show any adverts on the TV. For gambling however around the football pitch on the players shirts in fact everywhere you look at a football game there is still gambling advertising mm -hmm. so you know you that doesn't work you know in my mind that is not that's not a real thing that was specifically what I wanted, uh, I was curious for you to speak about was the, the whistle to whistle ban because that, again, as you've just explained, when, when there's also advertising all around the, the, the pitch on the players' uniforms, all that kind of stuff, it's, it's at best like such a half-assed measure. It, it, it is, is just a, you know, it's, it's rearranging deck chairs. Um, and, and, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of 
interested to hear your perspective on the other ways that that gambling intentionally or not, but it's hard or the gambling industry, I should say intentionally or not, but it's hard to uh, uh, see it as not intentional kind of uh how, how they aim at or, or try to capture um you know the the market share of kids and and people who will eventually be uh old enough to buy uh, uh bingo cards or play the lottery or bet on a football game yeah absolutely and obviously an in industry will say well our advertising is to gain market share of adults within the uk sure um and they will say as well that what they're trying to do is they're trying to stop um, adults gambling on black label sites, which aren't um, aren't licensed in the UK. So it's all about yeah. market share. However, if you are a child watching this stuff, it's going in your head subconsciously. So whether they're doing it on purpose or not, it's in their head. Yeah. And I always give this example because I think it's really true. I'm a Liverpool supporter, even though I've got a West Ham season ticket because my family are all West Ham. And it's where I've watched all my football. And they happen to be sponsored by Betway, so and so it's gambling everywhere. Um, but with regards to Liverpool, the first football shirt I bought had a sponsor on the front called Candy. Mm. Now, Candy um, produce kitchen white goods. And I didn't realise until I realised about gambling, advertising stuff. I looked around my kitchen and I buy Candy products. Mm. And I wasn't done intentionally. That's what I buy. And there's got to be something in that. Sure. The first Liverpool shirt I bought that my heroes wore across their heart. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yep. it's right there. Um, it meant something to me. It's a brand I should trust. So I trusted it and I'm still buying the things. My TV, on the other hand, is a JVC TV. Now, JVC sponsored Arsenal when I was a kid. Mm, I would not have right. bought that TV. My parents bought it. I wouldn't have bought it. It's JVC. It's a great telly, but that, that's what's in my mind. And that's what's happening with youngsters and stuff at the moment. So they will see things, hear things. It seems so normal that there's no, um, there's nothing is said about potential dangers because of course people can gamble. Some people don't go down the route that I went down, but actually you don't need to go down that route to be harmed by gambling. There's a, sure. there are so many millions harmed, whether that be a gambler or those who are, married to brothers of sisters of gamblers um it's a huge public health issue and talking about the children there are currently fifty-five thousand gambling addicts within the uk between the age of 11 and 16 so wow. you know before you're allowed to gamble now the industry would say well they're not doing it on our products sure they, some of them may be and obviously that shouldn't be happening but yeah a lot of them probably aren't at that point but they're seeing gambling as the norm it's advertised everywhere they start to get involved in it without understanding what the potential dangers are. And then when they get old enough and they're going to their football match and because they know their dad does it and their mum does it and their friends do it, they go and start putting their bets on. What then happens is once you download an app, and this is what I found out because I wanted to download an app just a bit on the outcome of a football game. Suddenly I start getting free bet offers. I start getting invites to their casino for free spins. Um, and I ignore those at first, then they keep coming, they keep coming, and then I try it. And when I was talking about how I felt calm gambling, that wasn't when I was doing the football bets. That was once I'd crossed over to the casino and was playing on slot machines. Mm, They're mm. bright colours, fast spins, near misses. Um, and a near miss is something where it looks like you're about to win. You haven't won. So really, it's a loss, but it's called a near miss, but it looks like it. Or sometimes losses disguised as wins another thing that grabs our attention so you put 50 pounds on a spin you win 30 pounds right but you don't you lost 20 yes. but it shows up as the win and in my head that's giving you know the dopamine hit and all that so from trying to bet on a football game i'm cross-sold more addictive products i get hooked i then want to get out of it and they start they made me a VIP, for example. And then so when I lose a lot of money, they put some free money into my account right. to drag me back in. Um, so is there an issue with gambling advertising in the UK? Yes. And why do I think that? Because what they don't tell you is once they get you gambling, they will try and keep you gambling until you can no longer gamble. And, you know, most of their profit, nearly all of it, comes from 5% of people who mm. gamble. So, you know, the people who make their money are the people who 
generally are suffering harm. You know, there might be some real big spenders out there who can spend the money and that's fine. But the whales in the parlance. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I wanted to tie into what you were saying there. Uh, you were talking about how that that sense of kind of all the all the buzz of everything going on in your head really didn't start to disappear until you uh, uh, kind of got more into the casino gaming. Um, and again, while I've never really experienced, um, you know, gambling addiction myself, I can again relate to that feeling uh, in terms of I get that same thing playing uh, a long video game session, for instance, where the time will just pass by. And again, I'm just like not aware of of all of the uh you know kind of background noise so to speak because i can get lost in that so i can very much relate to that uh, that kind of behavior and i'm curious if there's um other places i guess uh before you understood yourself not only as a uh, a person in recovery but also as an adhd person what are kind of the other places where you found that that calming and i guess where do you find it now that you've you've uh, you're, that you're moving away from uh from these other influences in your life yeah that's a really good question um where did i find it before i'm not sure i did actually i'm really yeah. not sure i did like i said i used to play a lot of sport and i think that helped as a youngster but i still don't think it did exactly the same thing right um and i injured my back when i was 17 so i stopped doing a lot of the sport that i was doing i got back into some of it recreationally but not at the same kind of level or not you know not sure. as often um so that was very difficult and then so rather than finding things to do that i think it was dampening everything with alcohol that's really mm -hmm. what it was. Yeah. Um, and then when I found the gambling, I don't think I had found it. Like I say, I hadn't found anything like that. Um, I wasn't a big gamer or anything. Um, the only thing, actually, I think as a youngster, was I did play one game quite a lot, Championship Manager. It's now called Football Manager. And sure. it's like the manager of a football team. And you can go through season after season after season. And yes, I could play that forever. And it was amazing. And time would go just fly by. <laughs> um and everybody says, why have you been doing that for three days? But so that would have been the one example, I suppose, that particular game. Um, but then it was the gambling. And then once I stopped the gambling, like you say, it's in how do you find that same kind of thing? And for me, I think it's been through connection with other people, talking with others and trying to be honest about how I feel. And I know that sounds, oh, how does that get the same kind of thing? But I think by doing that, you then strike up a conversation. And whereas I never used to be able to do that, or I was somebody was talking to me and it was going all over my head and I'm like, right, when they're going to stop? And then I could say something back. I can connect with them now because it's like we're talking about something in common, whether that be a recovery and addiction type thing or whether that now be around ADHD. And I can get quite engrossed in that conversation, so much so that sometimes it's like I, I, it pops in my head, oh, my God, you better stop now because the other person's supposed to be talking. Like <laughs> so I think it's that kind of stuff. But sure. also another thing um, – but they come and go, as, you know, as you know, things are they're amazing and they disappear and you can't do them. So reading was a massive thing for a couple of years, um, so much so that I was doing it all the time. I'd pick up a book and I just needed to keep reading to get through it. To now where I'm at the place where I've got lots of books I want to and need to read. I'm scared to pick the first one up because that might happen again. Sorry, yep. that will that will happen again. So it's like, so that was it. And now it's not. But also things like I've tried to do a lot of like meditation and mindfulness, mm, mm. which I think are absolutely fantastic and do the same thing for me when and if I can get into the zone, which is obviously more difficult sure people with the kind of brains that we have but i have persevered because i have found that when i can do it that's been a real real help and a real benefit and something because it's probably harder for me to do that i don't get stuck in for far right. too long um and actually building on that bit as well it's things like walking actually it's getting out in nature because what I realized was because the meditation laying down, sitting down could be quite hard because everything else comes in my head. If I'm yeah. just kind of mindfully walking, I'm allowed to have things in my head, but then I can try and focus on something I'm looking at or seeing or feeling. Um, and that's really great. That's been the one thing for me, I think, right now, which is kind of spot on.
And uh, yeah, it was actually, it's, it's great that you, that you tied it into the walking thing there, because that was going to be my next sort of line of inquiry was, was, I guess, what, if any role, um, uh, physical activity kind of plays in your life now and, and in managing your symptoms. Cause this is something that I've talked about recently on the show is just going for these long, long walks, like eight to 10 clicks usually. Um, and yeah, and I'm finding that, that getting that done kind of first thing in the day does have uh, a, a tangible effect on kind of keeping the voices at bay, so to speak. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting what you say, because if I think about what used to happen to me, and I, as I say, as a kid, I loved sport and that. There was a time, maybe, oh, when my son was born, he was, he's 13 now, so maybe like 14 or so years ago, I got really out of shape through everything. Mm. And I decided I'm going to get back in shape and I'm going to have a I'm gonna diet, I'm going to eat really well, and obviously being all or nothing, it was, you know, I was sure. really on it. <laughs> At the same time, I had to be absolutely perfect with the exercise. And I remember yep. going to a circuit training thing on a Monday night, absolutely terrible. You know, I was out of breath, I could barely do any, any of it. Within two months, not only was I going to that circuit training class on a Monday night, I was going to the gym for an hour before it and running for the hour, having been to the gym in the morning before right. work as well. Like, no balance, just absolutely sure. full on at it. Then it got back to the point where there's nothing. And then through all these de depressed and difficult times I've had over the recent, more recent years, uh, not all of it, like I say, some of the recovery has been fantastic, but some of these times, nothing. Wanting to do something, but can't even get up. Yeah. So, what I do now, is I have an alarm in the morning, which is set for 7.30, which is when I take my medication and I'm managing to do it every day because it's set on there every day and I'm not in that state I was before. I get up and I either, one or other, I either have my shower before or after. Every day before I have my shower, I have a routine of six exercises that I just do. And it's like, wow. And they're not hard exercises. They don't take very long, but they get me up, they get me moving yeah. and they get me ready. And I'm not obsessed by it because, you know, before it, I've got to build on this. No, that, they are my exercises and they are not going to change unless somebody who says it would be good to change that one to that because there's a real good reason for it. Right. They're not going to. It's not about me becoming muscle man or anything like that. It's about me getting my physical and mental health kind of well aligned and then what i'll do later in the day if i get the opportunity i'll have that nice walk away sure and it's really helpful yeah um so some i, I was kind of something that i was interested in when you were talking about that time in your life where you're very very focused on fitness um that kind of all or nothing switch got hit for you um and something that i'm kind of curious about if you've experienced a similar thing was that that rigidity of routine is both good and bad because on the one hand when you're when you're in it and you're and you're on it every day you feel like you could you could conquer the world but at least speaking from my experience if i missed a day or god forbid missed two days in a row just due to illness or being tired or circumstances or whatever it was like well shit like i guess i can never work out again and and then i i literally yeah i would just like not do anything for weeks or months at a time because it's like you know i, I had such a good streak and it got disrupted and then that's that's that perfectionism i feel like is like well, it's not worth doing it at all if I can't, like, like you know, there's people doing all sorts of things and I can't even work out 17 days in a row. Like, what kind of bullshit is this? <laughs> Absolutely that. Absolutely that. That's, that's exactly spot on. I mean, that's what would have happened back then. I would have hit a day when it didn't happen and then a second day and then by day three, I don't do that anymore because I don't. I just don't. I'm not good enough anymore. I've missed it. I'm not going to be all right when I go back. Whereas now, talking about like that morning routine, um, there have been some days, so I had COVID a little while ago. Sure. So I was doing it as best as I could, but there were some days I was like, I'm too weak. I won't do it. And then when the COVID went, I then put three of those exercises in and now I'm back up to the six. So it's like, there's that more balance somehow. And I hope I can maintain that because I know that it, you know, it can go that other way again, mm -hmm. at least I'm more aware of it. So hopefully it won't. I don't beat myself up because- right. I've missed two days now i feel like i'm able to even if it's hard and it isn't easy is it even if i can get back in to do it but yeah that rigidity and when you're in it amazing amazing nothing's going to go wrong nothing until it goes not even wrong just there's a little you know something little happens and it feels like everything's gone terribly wrong and you can't maintain it right. i can't maintain it um and I couldn't maintain it, whether I will be able to now, because I'm not so all or nothing at the moment, we will see. 
um, another thing I wanted to double back to uh, when we were talking about uh, about advertisement on you know players' jerseys and whatnot, and developing those kind of uh, uh, associations maybe at a point early enough in life where we're not old enough to really think about it or kind of parse what's going on, and you know like I think that undeniably it's true that that sentiment works in advertising um to this day uh, i still buy royale toilet paper because it has a kitty on the package and i love cats it's not even a very good toilet paper like i i don't like it and especially like i don't buy kleenex so i just blow my nose into toilet paper and it's just like it's so fuzzy that i end up with bits of kleenex or, or toilet paper in my mustache and stuff and it's like you know and yet I'm still probably paying a premium uh, uh, to get this because like, it's sort of the cute little kitty on the package. Um, so I think that that's, that's, it's very hard to deny that link. And especially when it is, um, you know, it, it, what the gambling thing makes me think of. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure whether as a stipulation of playing for a club that has a, a certain sponsor, whether players have to do uh, uh, individual endorsements of that product or not. But it makes me think of like, um, you know, McDonald's has been a sponsor of the Olympics for years and years. And there's always the ads with like, you know, oh, two-time Olympic uh, ski jumping gold medalist uh, eating up his, his fries and his Big Mac. And it's like, that guy doesn't eat fries in a Big Mac unless he's getting paid to eat fries in a Big Mac. Like that's, it's absolute bullshit. It's so cynical. And as adults, we know that. But as kids, it's like, oh, this guy that, you know, came from two towns over and and is like the the talk of the country because he just got a gold medal. Well, he's doing just fine off of a, a Big Mac and fries. So um, yeah, I, I, I just think that that's a really good point about that kind of, um, yeah, the, 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 building that sentimentality uh, around advertising or whatever kinds of, of, of um, products. Definitely, definitely. And the Olympics and McDonald's, I don't get it. Like you say, <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Um, so obviously I do stuff around campaigning against the gambling advertising mm -hmm. in the UK and, you know, I want that to be gone, but you know, I don't want it to be replaced by Ronald McDonald's or anything like that. You know, in my mind, if you've got a sport, if we talk specifically about sport here, sport should be good for body and mind. So, yeah. you know, wouldn't it be nice if, um, sponsors were also good for body and mind, <laughs> but we'll see if we ever get there. Um, and so kind of along those lines, um, I guess I'm just kind of curious, like, so I'm certain that there will be people listening to this podcast that have a different opinion on gambling from you and say, you know, well, where's the harm? And if I want to go to uh, go to the seaside and hit up the casino once a year, like that's how, how come just because, you know, other people can't quote unquote control themselves, how come the rest of us have to pay for it? And, you know, I think that I, I assume, I, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I assume that, you know, um, the total abolition of gambling in the UK is kind of an unrealistic outcome from your perspective. So I'm just kind of curious what, how you would lead someone that maybe doesn't see eye to eye with your views uh, down the path towards maybe understanding them better. Yeah, totally. And everybody should have their own views on these things. And a lot of people can gamble, like I, like I think I mentioned earlier. And that's fine, you know, for people who can go and use it as a pastime and enjoy it and bet within their means, good on them and good. You know, I want them to be able to, I want them to be able to do that. You know, that's absolutely fine. Um, but I think there's a huge issue around kind of the regulation stuff. So, you know, once somebody is being harmed because you don't go into it planning to be harmed. Sure. Um, how how are you helped and that kind of stuff and there's a lot of messaging in the uk around safer gambling and things like that um but then at the same time you know there you know there was another fine the other week for entain who one of the large largest owners or largest gambling operators and you know a 17 point something million pound fine because wow. of their they're not they're not doing what they should be doing on, along the social responsibility line so that's actually peanuts for them. It's not even 10% yeah. of their, you know, it sounds like a lot of money. It's, it's not 10% of their gross gambling yield. So um, it's about there being the right responsibility from an industry as well as from individuals. So one of the things, or there are a couple of strap lines you might hear in the UK. One of the old ones was when the fun stops, stop. Mm. Right. Well, I couldn't. And I imagine once you've got past the point of fun, you can't stop either. So, no, that doesn't work. That's not right. Then there's another one called Take Time to Think Now. Well, I quite like that one in some respects. But once again, once you're too far down the line into the harm, it doesn't matter. You can't do that. 
but in my mind, you know, that's a message towards the people who are gambling. And it, you know, it puts stig- it's a stigma thing, you know, mm. you need to control it, you need to do this. Yeah. But actually, let's say to the industry, will you take time to think as well, you know, should you be taking this bet from this person knowing, you know, that they may be vulnerable right now because of the data you hold on, on them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it isn't about people not gambling. It's about people being able to gamble in a safe way, knowing that who they're gambling with actually... And of course, they're a business who wants to make money sure. and people go out to gamble to have fun and not win money. That should be the idea, but I'm not right. sure how many people go out to have fun without winning money. I think of it like um, you should think of it like going to go into the cinema or something and saying, here's 20 quid for the tickets and here's yep. 10 quid for the food. And actually, it would be 20 quid for the tickets and 40 pounds for the food <laughs> and drink. It's so expensive and so big, but... And then that money's gone. But you know it's gone when you go to a cinema. The problem is when you do that, when you're gambling, that money that you've spent might come back and it might right. be more. And that can be that hook in. And it really is just about, you know, helping people to gamble in a way where they're not harming themselves or the industry isn't harming them. Because the thing is, they design products and those products are addictive. So it's very different to a diff- other services. You know, mm-hmm. you know, most people are offering a service that is so addictive and they're taking your money. And then and it just doesn't really work like that in most service industries. So I want people to be able to go and have fun and gamble. There's absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. You know, I don't want gambling to be banned. I just want it to be properly regulated and I want it to be safe for people. Well, as, as safe as it possibly sure. can. So we avoid any avoidable harm some people will get harmed but you know that needs to be as minimal as possible and those who are operators need to be held to account as well as individuals because that currently doesn't happen in the UK. right yeah and i think that you've brought up a really important point there with the kind of um the the individuation or or like atomization of responsibility onto the end user when you know uh, it, the the responsibility to, in my mind morally very clearly lies with the people who are profiting off of it to you know like Effectively, and I know this is a lot asking uh, uh, the gambling industry or, or alcohol industry or whomever to be held to the same standard as doctors, but you know, the Hippocratic Oath applies there too. Like, really, with whatever we're doing in life, we should all be coming in with the idea of first do no harm in my opinion like that that just to me seems like such a baseline for living your life in the first place that it's 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 hard for me to wrap my head around but you know as you say this idea of of when the fun stops stop that's all well and good but you know not with gambling but like talking about gaming before you know there was a lot of times where it's like well this isn't fun anymore I've, I've stopped enjoying myself hours ago but I just can't think of anything else to do so I'm just gonna like keep playing for a while and 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 maybe something fun will happen or or whatever like i'll i'll unlock something or achieve something that uh uh, i i wasn't before um yeah that's a really good point that's a really good point with the gaming and the gambling because they can be monotonous they can be boring they can feel like there's nothing happening but unlike other things that you might be doing something might happen right a win might come like you say in a game you might Mm. actually get past that part that you've been stuck at for the last three hours by mistake probably you accidentally do the wrong thing and you've you've gone through it it's like whoa it's happened that doesn't happen in a lot of other um kind of things that we do i don't Mm -hmm. think and they're very similar in that respect yeah um so i maybe this is a good point to to kind of double back to uh all bets are off itself and and maybe uh if you could tell us a little bit about that show um i listened to a few of them uh the one i think i enjoyed the most was the one with uh uh, chris murphy the darts commentator uh really enjoyed that episode very powerful real uh a lot of laughs and and i cried a couple times listening to it too it's uh it's uh it's it's a heavy one but it's very very good I love doing that episode actually and that's the second from last one that we've done so yes. far because we've had a big break but i mean i've got adhd now i didn't know it. i was going through <laughs> the depression and stuff and ryan who has been the other main co-host has also been setting up his own new organization stuff oh well. wow we've been very busy but we hope to we hope to uh, obviously do some more going forward and um yeah amazing stuff so when would it have been now so march 2020 I'm on Twitter and Ryan, who wasn't called Ryan on Twitter then because he was called at ruined gambler at the Mm. time, sent out a tweet and it just said, would anybody be interested in listening to a new gambling addiction recovery podcast, a UK based one? 
you know, there don't seem to be any. Um, there weren't at the time. There were American ones and stuff. But I was like, yeah, that sounds good. So based on that, he sent me a message which says, would you like to co-host this with me? I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and then we had a meeting. And then a few weeks later, we put out an episode of All Pets Are Off. Me, Ryan and Kelly at that point. Kishan, who started with us as well, was doing some studying because he's a doctor at that point. And um, yeah, we just kicked off. The idea was to kind of do it every other week for a little while. And then we didn't. We just started banging them out every week. We went through the first season. We got some sponsorship from Gamban. Gamban basically are... Um, software that you can put on your phone laptop devices um that can you know stop you getting to gambling sites but also um it restricts trading sites nowadays as well because obviously they're very oh, similar very very similar and things business. yeah yeah so you know the kind of not true trading necessarily but people who are doing <laughs> like day day trading and looking at it because it's an app a bit like a gambling app so that does that but yeah we really started something because we wanted to share our lived experience with others and see how that could potentially help other people. Um, and what we wanted to do was tackle different um, different topics, really. So it wasn't just about getting people on to come and talk about their experience. So, for example, we will have we've got like a couple of international episodes. Um, we've got um, one which is of a guy called Collins in Uganda. That was fun. Mm, wow, that was fun uh, <laughs> recording that because. He was in a place which had no internet and then he had to run off somewhere else to like, he was in a house. He's like, oh no, there's no good internet here. And he's running down the road to some internet cafe. It's like, this is amazing. But, um, you know, incredible stuff. And, the, you know, this stuff is worldwide. Um, you know, in fact, going back to the football advertising in the UK, a lot of what you see on the shirts um, are not all, are not companies that are licensed in the UK. Um, oh, wow. They are basically on the Premier League teams football shirts so that people in china or africa um can gamble on sites essentially because it's not you're not allowed to advertise in those countries but you know that was just going back on something um right i think that's terrible but yeah no all bets are off we've covered lots of things lgbtq episodes um chris murphy one was amazing actually because i had a lot of i feel like i had a lot of similarities with that story because he talks about alcohol as well as, as gambling um obviously and it's he talks about um nearly committing suicide yeah and quite a funny story around it as well because you know suicide is not a funny thing no and at the moment there are public health england did a, a report and there are 409 suicides a year in the uk attributed wow. to gambling wow now i think it's i think there's a lot more but that is what can be attributed to it based on what you know evidence there is and he would have been one of those people except the tablets he took weren't the tablets he thought he took and mm -hmm. and, and you know listen to the show it was funny that but it's nice that we can joke about some of this stuff now because he was in a horrendous place just like i was and people come on and listen and they can you know they can relate they can relate to things and a lot of it is about that relating to each other and like i said earlier on in the show a bridge into um recovery for some people other people might listen to it longer but you know if somebody comes on and just listens to one episode and thinks that might be me and then they reach out for some help that's incredible that's amazing that's what that's what we did this for and i've met so many wonderful wonderful people throughout um, this you know i've spoken to so many people who've lived experience and like the nicest people you'll ever meet who've been to prison because they've they've <laughs> yeah. committed fraud and, and so much money has been stolen they've never committed a crime in their life other than this huge fraud <laughs> because because of the gambling addiction and some of those people now who i talk to they've come out of the prison and they are helping so many others and trying to make change and the people they are incredible i've never met people like them and you, and you know before i started doing this stuff i thought oh somebody's been to prison they've got to be bad but then i didn't appreciate what i had gone through what i was going sure. through what i would have been capable of and i'm just very very glad that i didn't go that way but i'm very very glad to have met those people so yeah so many different episodes Give it a listen you know um you don't need to be a gambler to to listen to it it was very interesting we have another episode with a lady called julie martin um and julie talks about being an affected other um and how she was in the house while her husband was gambling and stuff mm. and it's a real sad story um but actually fast forward to now that husband took his life as well at the end of last year um set himself a light on outside the front oh of the house oh my god 
And I went to the coroner's, the coroner's um, inquest with her the other week, you know, it's just to highlight, you know, this stuff is supposed to be fun, like we said, and we want it to be no harm, but it really does get this far. So that's why I want to, I want to share about it, but you know, have a listen. There's so much stuff in there. It is just so good to know that people are starting to listen to these things, have these conversations and building an understanding and with America being so huge and kind of gambling just you know just being allowed now in lots of the states or online sports betting and that oh i hope you guys learn some stuff and i know you won't <laughs> <laughs> not, uh, not early enough you know I, you know it's so important it's so important you know look at what's gone wrong elsewhere and some things that have gone right of course but mm -hmm. see what's gone wrong and then try and learn from it because it can cause huge harm yeah uh, uh, so something I'm, I'm just sorting out the timeline in my head here. And so if I understand correctly, you have not recorded any episodes of this show since getting your diagnosis. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. The last ones would have been September 2021. And the diagnosis was in October. So, yeah. So this is kind of a weird question then maybe because it's speculative, mm. but I'm just kind of curious uh if there was if there are ways that you would approach uh the conversations on the show differently um now that you understand yourself as a neurodivergent person would these have been things that you brought up with guests as maybe like something underlying or things like that absolutely 100 percent. and i think that's what's so interesting and kind of what i want to talk about and i suppose at least one specific episode on that kind of stuff but of course picking it up in other episodes as well and what's been really interesting is talking to a number of people who've either been on the show already or who i just happen to know within um kind of the gambling harm community mm. uh, there's a load of us it makes perfect sense from what i said earlier how i felt calm and what you were talking about with the gaming and sure. how you felt because it's all so similar um, there's a lot of us with 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 this type of stuff so I think there's going to be a lot of interesting conversations about this and I would definitely definitely approach things differently and probably not even on purpose it would just be the way it comes out now because of what I've learned sure, about yeah. me and what other people know about me as well because I've shared it with so many people people will know anyway when they come along and talk so yeah yeah and I'm happy about that really happy yeah well, I, I'd love if you can, because um, this is something that we talk to with most of our guests, uh, and I'm just something I'm in very interested in with anyone who's figured this stuff out as an adult, but I guess kind of what, uh, from your perspective, has changed both in kind of how you relate to the world and other people and how you relate to yourself um, since finding out that you uh, have ADHD? Definitely kinder to myself. Yeah. I think that's the first thing. I spoke about that kind of self-loathing and stuff earlier and I couldn't work out why. Um, but now I know that it's all right to have my difficult days. It's all right if my car's in a real mess, as it is right now. My house isn't, but the car is, and that's all right. <laughs> but it isn't always going to be. And, if, and even if it is, that's all right too. You know, it's that being kind to myself because I'm living through each day. And... It's the understanding as well. And it doesn't mean I know everything. Of course I don't. I've got so much to learn and we all do. But I think it's about knowing rather than sitting there thinking, why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? Why am I panicking? Why am I sitting here not able to do this thing, which is so easy? I now tell people, I know this thing's really easy. I can't do it. It might be easy for you. For me, it feels like climbing a mountain to do it. And you need to understand that. And if you don't understand it, that's fine as well. I'm just telling you, I yep. can't do it. <laughs> it's that honesty because I'm able to able to understand a little bit of what's what. And, you know, as long as I'm comfortable with that, it doesn't matter if other people are comfortable or not. But at the same time, it's that talking up and breaking the stigma, you know. And I think that's really important. But, yeah, yeah, I think that's the main thing. Just the main thing is that being kind to me because mm -hmm. I deserve it. Everyone deserves to be happy. This is something that I read the Dalai Lama wrote this once you know everybody deserves to be happy and I thought yeah that's really true why can't I be and now I realize I can I can be happy um and that doesn't uh, happy is different to perfect all that perfect crap again that you know we were talking <laughs> right. about earlier perfect perfection's horrible it's the like enemy money, of the good as they say exactly and I was like money is the um kind of what they call it the thingy of all evil can't remember the same the root of all evil exactly and I feel like kind of there's that's the same with that perfectionism, perfectionism sure yeah and for me i know that i don't need any of that now i just need to be able to wake up 
and think to myself, you can do your best today, mate. And as long as you do, that's all right. And your best is different on different days. And some days your best may be laying in this bed and doing nothing at all. But that's very <laughs> rare now compared to what it was. So, yeah, I think that's it, really. Well, that's uh, that's a very excellent perspective, I think, um, to kind of take into yeah, you know, the the, the second half of your life. Uh, you, you've got the whole your whole life ahead of you, as we all do, and I think that it's uh, it's much easier to go through it, um, you know, with as much as much pain as there is in the world sometimes. Uh, uh, to not have to also get that from yourself all the time uh, certainly makes it a lot easier road to tread. <laughs> Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, we're the worst, aren't we? We're the worst. <laughs> Having a go at yourself is terrible. I'm sure we all are. I mean, oh, it's nothing worse, is it? Like stabbing yourself with a dagger all the time. That's what it feels like, you know. We all take shit from ourselves that we would uh, uh, punch somebody else in the face for saying to us. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. Exactly, exactly. And nobody would say it to us anyway because it's exactly. so terrible. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, Chris, um, unless you have anything else that you would like to talk about, uh, I feel like this is kind of a good place to wrap up. No, not really. I mean, it's been fantastic, obviously. It's been lovely being asked to come on, being that you were the first guys I listened to and laughed to um, when I was working out who I was. So, yeah, no, thanks for having me on, and I uh, look forward to listening to many more episodes in the future. Well, thank you so much. Again, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, so if, if folks are interested in checking you out online, uh, your podcast, your, your gambling uh, advocacy group, all that sort of stuff, where would they find those places? Yeah, sure. So firstly, then, because I've got it open in front of me, mm -hmm. uh, Gambling Education Network is my charity in the UK. And our website is www.gamblingeducationnetwork.com. There's loads of information on there. And then All Bets Are Off um, is www.allbetsareoff.co.uk. But obviously, we're also available on, you know, Apple Pods, Spotify, all that kind of stuff. So you can search for us there as well. And um, me personally, on Twitter, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Gilsey, G-I-L-L-S-Y, 1002 underscore. Great. Uh, and the last thing I'm kind of curious about is, is your polo there. Are those, uh, are those mushrooms or palm trees or umbrellas or what am I seeing embroidered on that? These are palm trees. Palm trees, they're, okay. They're the wrong color, obviously, being <laughs> orange, but they are, they are supposed to be palm trees. <laughs> That's a cool shirt. I really like that one. So... Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that, that's about all I had for you today. So thank you again for joining us and, and sharing your story with, uh, with myself and all of our listeners. Uh, we really, really appreciate your time and, and your, your openness. Oh, thanks, Jordan. Do you know what I would say? The openness is one of those things that's helped me the most. It, it, was, the, it was the whole narrative again that was so terrible all those years. The more open I can be, the better it is, I think. So thank you for, thank you for asking me to come and be open. Well, I definitely share that experience. I think that my life has benefited greatly from, uh, yeah, talking about the things that I would normally have stuffed down and, and tried to uh, uh, cover over in a, a, a thick layer of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> the best way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, thanks very much and take care. Thanks, George. And see you later, mate.